Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Before we get into what we're talking about today, on today's episode, I wanted to first give you guys a warning. Um, unlike last week's episode, which was unique for the reason of having Slate as a guest. By the way, I always love having guests on my podcast. If you're one of the guests who is usually on my podcast is listening, I love you for putting up with me. Um, but especially Slate, hi Slate, I like having him on there, on here because he tells stories from a universe that I'm not part of because he is a anime fan in Missouri, he's also much younger to otakudom than I am, actually his brother Zane, who you literally never hear on the podcast, but is almost always in the background of said podcast, whenever Slate is on, is probably much more closer to my amount of consumption consumption of anime. Um, but it's great to have Slate on, and I love having him on, and I look forward to next time we get to do something, because he, he's on Mountain Time, I'm on um, East Coast Time, so it, like... It's a con. It, it's a li- not a huge balancing act, but it's a little bit of a balancing act to be like, okay, today at this time, which is this time, but also this time, let's go. Um, <laughs> so I love having him on, and I hope you enjoyed our two-hour just ranting about Mob Psycho 100. But on that note, where the reason why I'm warning you about today's episode is because going to be on something that's definitely, that's, that is about anime, but it's not about a anime or like, anim- or necessarily animation, although we'll f- touch on both of those because I've been watching two shows that kind of brought this into my brain and I'll explain why when we get into the main bit. And the main bit today will be on streaming services. Now, if you watch anime in the year of our Lord 2020, or for about, I want to say, at least... If you've watched anime for the past 20 years, basically. For the past 10 years. Not past 20 years, but past 10 years. You have grown accustomed to streaming services, because that's how most people get their anime delivery. And yes, there are parts of the world where internet where internet connections are not great and so streaming services aren't as viable. Um but for the most part, if you're watching anime on the internet, you're watching it through a service like Crunchyroll, like Funimation Now, like um Netflix, like Hulu, like Tubi, like Viewster, like um I think it's like Anime Lab is the Australian one. Um, that, anyways, it's a bunch of different, like Daisuke. I think Daisuke's still alive. Don't quote me on that, though. But there's a bunch of different services you can subscribe to for only anime. Now, I'm going to zoom out broadly here because I think it's important. Um, there are numbers for subscribers. Like, I think, I think it was like three years ago. 
or maybe my brain's just fucked, um, that Crunchyroll finally surpassed a million viewers. Um, Funimation now probably has a huge viewership count. So does, oh, and I'm, I've got a, um, very important, um, a, a, ver a very important stream, like, an specifically anime streaming service, and that is High Dive. Um, I'm not sure how many people High Dive have, only because they are an outgrowth of what used to be Anime Network, and at some point involved Sentai, Sentai Filmworks, and, um, they also, so, what I'm saying there is they have a lot on High Dive, they have a lot of very niche titles and very old titles, and what that means in practice is that those titles command a different kind of audience. Not necessarily a smaller audience, but a harder to calculate audience, if that makes any sense, for me, from, like, a distance. The most interaction I've ever had with, quote-unquote, working with one of the big anime streaming services is participating very heavily and being featured very heavily, which I still find hilarious, um, in High Dive's Anime Inktober thing that they did, where they released their own prompt list, and I did, because I'm a psycho, I did on my Instagram their prompt list, plus the, like, normal prompt list, which I usually attempt to do, and I did all 30 days, you can go on my Instagram, at Alex Holt Cohan on Instagram, and you can see all the illustrations I did, and I give the, like, the prompts for each day, every day, and some of them are great. Like, I got to make Lukoa from Dragon Maid because there was a prompt that literally said Dragon on the traditional prompt list and a prompt that said Maid on the on the High Dive prompt list. But that's as close as I've gotten to working with these people. So I'm working with, like, guesstimates and feelings and, like, an, a more than vague understanding of, like, the tech streaming culture thing. Um, but... Basically, I'm going to zoom out and I'm going to talk about streaming on a bigger level because it's important to anime, and I'll under I'll tell you why. Um, but first, I want to talk about why I came to doing this episode, and that and that is really two shows that I've started watching. Um, one that people are raving about, another that people don't really have a reason to rave about because. It's very flawed, but I think that it's actually, it's covertly doing a really good job at what it's attempting to do. And those shows are um, Keep Your Hands Off Isoken and Smile Down the Runway. Now, if you have been listening to this podcast for a while at this point, you'll know that I did a podcast way back about, um, um, Paradise Kiss. And at the time, I don't think you could get your hands on Paradise Kiss at all. Now, I think it is all on Funimation for you to go watch. Um, so if you were like, oh, what is this show he's talking about back in the Paradise Kiss episode? You can go watch that on Funimation, I believe. Um, but Paradise Kiss is about, is about the art of fashion. It's, it's very much about the artistry of making fashion, of making high-end fashion 
And it is so much about that that actually spawned a... And I said this in the Paradise Kiss episode, but it spawned the Japanese, like, niche fashion trend of goth, of goth Lolita. That show, and specifically Miwako as a character and Mikako as a character, are um, responsible for creating the goth Lolita fashion style in many people's minds. But... The thing it doesn't really do, or the thing it kind of touches on, but then it moves on because it's not really interested in that, and Ayazawa isn't interested in that, is it doesn't really talk about the business of fashion. Um, Ayazawa actually gets into that a little bit more in its kind of prequel slash proper series that it's a spinoff of, called Neighborhood Stories, in which is where Mikako, Miwako's older sister who owns Happy Berry, the, the like, commercial fashion brand, the, like, commercial Gothelita fashion brand in Paradise Kiss, um, that's where you meet her character first, and it's all about her growing up and, mar- and marrying her husband, who is Miwako's older brother, who is a photographer, um, and them going to art school. It's it's a very, like, meta-textual weird thing. Um, and, um, but th- they, there, they have this comment from um, Hana, their teacher, to, um, first Mikako's sister and then Miwako's sister, of, you can't sell these garments. They're too hastily sewn. They suck. No, n- no buyer would look at this and say, we trust you to come up with something we can sell. And that's a, it's like an offhand thing, and it's not really the point of the show, but it, like, it gets, it, it's a, such a specific thing that you can see that Ayazawa knows what she's talking about. That she knows that she's done some amount of research into the fashion industry and what the fashion industry values and what it, what, and what it wants to stress. Now, the difference between that show and Smile Down the Runway is that Smile Down the Runway is not necessarily concerned with how good the clothes are um, and how fashionable its characters who work in fashion are, with who the only one that seems to make much sense as a fashion character is from a style perspective, is the designer that, um, I think the, the kid who wants to be a, um, what's it called? Who wants to be a fashion designer goes and works for. But it has this really interesting moment in it, in its second episode, where it puts that kid as being kind of like the second assistant for the, for this runway show. And he all of a sudden realizes that even though he wants to be a fashion designer, he's never been in a fashion environment, and he's never dealt with the with the business of fashion and w- what that means. And the other character you're following in this sh- in Smile on the Run- Runway is this character who wants to be a supermodel, representing her father's um, modeling agency in Paris Fashion Week. And that doesn't really, like, that doesn't really fit with the way the industry works. It's less 
Like, re it's more representing yourself, necessarily, than representing an agency. But I get it. They, they need an angle to get to, like, what if fashion with a, you know, shonen action arc bent? Um, but there's this moment where she has to put the dress on, and without any thought in her head, she sh immediately strips naked. And the fashion designer, the kid who wants to be fashion designer, is like, what the hell is going on? And she says to him, like, look, you know, I know this from growing up in fashion, and I know, and I do, I also know this from growing up in fashion, me the person talking to you right now, talking into your ear holes right now. You know, f models can wear anyone from five to twenty dresses in a runway show. There's no time to worry about, oh, I need a place to change, oh, I need privacy. And she also said, and oftentimes, we're just naked under there because there's no time to, like, check for underwear lines and all this other shit. So we put on, like, a G-string and nothing on the top, and we just go down the runway. If you want to be a fashion designer, this is what you need. Like, you need to get used to this. This is normal. And in fashion as a real industry... The response to, like, part of that is the models are not the thing that are supposed to be envy are supposed to be envied on a runway. What they are is they are basically really good-looking hangers for the clothes. And that's basically what she's saying. She's like, look, we don't have time to, like, be bashful. We are human hangers or human mannequins going out on the runway, showing the world this designer's clothes, and coming back and doing it again and again and again. Now, what that, what that little moment in this show says to me is that this show is going to be about the functional business of fashion, which is not what Paradise Kiss was about. Paradise Kiss was the artistry of fashion. Um... And that, in kind of in concert with um, Keep Your Hands Off Isaacen and the character of Sayaka in, I in that show, kind of led me to what I want to talking about streaming and streaming as a force in anime and the way you watch anime and why you should care about all the different moves streaming services are constantly making as a fan. Because... Sayaka and Isaacen is the business angle of the anime industry. That's what she's there to represent. She sees money in both Midori and, um, and, and Tsubami. She sees money in them. It, she sees money in their creativity. And that is the only reason she's there, and she is there to facilitate, like, the extraction of that money to not just them, but to herself. <laughs> um, and that's a real, that's a real consideration that many people who experience art don't understand. It's that there is, it's that the only reason why you see an outfit at H&M or you see, you know, an episode of 
an anime weekly is because there is an entire apparatus created to help separate you from your money in exchange for the experience of buying that buying that outfit from H&M and or usually and or experiencing that media day and date with the same people experiencing it in Japan oftentimes now or very or very close like hours separated lots of times but the thing that you need to understand is that because anime is such a force and is popular enough where a you know a upstart like Crunchyroll and believe me in streaming terms Crunchyroll is an upstart we don't think about it oftentimes as an upstart but it is even if it does have AT&T money now. Um, an upstart like Crunchyroll that started out as an illegal streaming service way back in, like, when I was in, like, college and earlier, like, way back in the super early off, it was around, but it was an illegal streaming service and has become, and has enough people to have a million subscribers per month a million active subscribers per month. That tells big companies like Facebook, big, big, well, not Facebook, but I'm sure soon because nightmares are real. Um, that co tells big companies like Hulu, like Netflix, like Amazon Prime, like, like Amazon, not Amazon Prime, and that's very important. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, that anime is... <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like a TikTok meme. Fuck, anime is an important part of the of media culture. Uh, and if you are like, yeah, of course I know that. You know, I see references to anime all the time. And I can't stress this enough to you, if you're a younger listener, that shit has always happened, but it has very few times been super acknowledged by everyone else that that was what was being referenced. Um, the most popular ones that, like, people understood, like, this is, this is directly linked to this, is, like, The Matrix was supposed to be a Ghost in a Shell movie. <laughs> um, and so, and those references, like I said, have happened all the time, and Smart enough anime fans have recognized it often enough where, like, I can tell you, there have been references to anime for a long time in other media. And the... So what, what happens there is, now that other bigger media giants, Netflix, Hulu, um... Actually, less Hulu. Let's, let's say Netflix and Amazon Prime are aware of anime as a thing. Other companies are looking for ways to get into it. So, for AT&T, AT&T turned around, first purchased Verve, and then, actually, I think purchased Verve and Crunchyroll all at once. And so, AT&T, the phone carrier, now has its finger in the anime industry. Um, Sony swept, swept down and purchased Funimation. Now, they have their finger in the anime industry. 
although they probably already did, but now they have their fun now they have another finger in it, basically. Um and then you have people like Amazon Prime, like Amazon, and like Netflix. Netflix, what they do, and this is so did some I'm gonna do a little side. I know I do lots of sides on the show, but there's something you need to understand about Netflix and the Netflix original thing. And this is super specific actually to anime because of the way it's produced. Is Netflix hasn't been paying for sole licensing of anime, of specific shows. They haven't been saying, oh, you pitched us this, we want it, but it can only be on Netflix. What, they, what they've been doing is they've been going to existing studios for a while. All they had was Polygon, and it was, it, that was, it was dark and bad because they're, they cut frames from computer animation to make it look hand-drawn, and it looked like framey shit. Um, but they, what they would generally do is they'll go to a studio and they'll say, Hey, you're making Seven Deadly Sins. We want that to, we want to give you the power of being a Netflix original. And the Seven Deadly Sins people who also have other investors they need to worry about because of the way anime is made say, okay, but we need to be able to, you know, to be able to sell merchandise off of it, we need to be able to broadcast this on Japanese television. Anime said, Netflix said, fine. But Netflix will also host the the episodes as they come out in Japan on the Netflix service. And then, in other countries, they'll hold the whole run of the season until it can be released, in Amer- at least in America, to binge watch. Now, what that means is that means that Seven Deadly Sins can be coming out and being fan-subbed and leaked for months before you see the season proper on Netflix. That diminishes the show's international appeal. And at this point, the anime companies must know this because how could they not? They're not they're not dumb. I can they're not dumb when it comes to, you know, piracy and illegal watching and gray areas and all that shit. I promise. But the other thing that you need to know is that Netflix, what Netflix will do is it will slap on the front the Netflix original series logo. And that doesn't mean that Netflix itself produced it. That means that they gave some money to a studio, probably not enough, I can all but guarantee you probably not enough, to be able to host it, to be able to host that show exclusively in the United States. And as... The as their offering grows, you see things like um, Takagi San is now a Netflix original. Takagi San simulcasts itself on Crunchyroll. I think like three seasons ago. I bet if you went to Crunchyroll right now, Takagi San is gone because what Netflix did is when. The license ran out, when Crunchyroll's license ran out, they went to the studio and they said, this show, this show seems like it would be successful on Netflix. We want to buy the license. Here's a bucket of money. The reason why I say that's probably what they did 
is because that is what they did with Evangelion. Evangelion came out on Netflix um, last year, and I did a big coincidence ep- like episode that coincided exactly with the, the release of that show last year, and the si- but I did an episode before that about the importance of cre- of creative freedom, and in that I talked, and in that episode I talked about um, mostly about Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse. But also about Netflix, but about the outside effect. Something like Netflix paying a million dollars for one sh- for one anime series could have on the industry, because what that will mean is that will mean that Netflix's Netflix's model of licensing original work will affect the way that work is produced if if somebody is aiming to have their show on Netflix, which is not un- which I would imagine is not uncommon. And what I mean by that is Netflix is only interested in two seasons of things at a time. And the reason why that is is because they're interested in getting people and get in acquiring new subscribers and holding those subscribers for just long enough where they just forget where Netflix just becomes a, a piece of the wallpaper in the room, basically. And so what that, what that could do to anime is it could say, you know, gone are, you know, the multiple arcs and multiple seasons. Here's this really good, but also slightly short shonen show that only lasts two seasons. Because we only need it to last two seasons. Because that's all Netflix is interested in. And then you have, but on the other end, on like a completely different style of this, is what Amazon did. And now, Amazon, Amazon has a really shitty, shitty deal with its video service. In that, for years it didn't let you know that it existed, and then they had originals people cared about. And that won Emmys like, um, tr- like I think Translucent with, um... Won a ton, won a ton of Emmys. Or transparent is what it was. That one, like mountains of Emmys. So does the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, but what they would do is because their streaming service lets the host property pitch itself any way it wants. Um, case in point, if you want to go watch Avatar: The Last Airbender on there, fine. You can watch the first season. No problem. But you have to pay for the other three seasons. Because that's the way Avatar The Last Airbender wants you to watch it. And that's actually unique from apart from something like Hulu or Netflix or Crunchyroll. We are paying a lump sum every month for access to the entire library. And what... But the way that... So what Amazon Prime would do is like... They'd say, they would say, Oh... You're interested in people watching Summer Wars, for example. Summer Wars was one of the early anime things they snapped up as an exclusive. And Summer Wars was only available on Amazon Prime to buy or rent. Actually, I think it was only available to buy. And so if you wanted to watch Summer Wars, you had no choice. You just went to Amazon, you forked over the money, and you downloaded the file from their servers. 
But then came a weirder thing, because then they realized that anime was a niche market that would pay to watch things, and they created Anime Strike. And it was a single... It was a... It was a $5 extra on top of your Prime subscription, and that gave you access to this entire library of anime they already had. Plus, they went out and they made deals, a deal with, and this is interesting, a programming block. That hasn't really been done before or since, and they still have this deal in place. So if you're, for, if you're um, familiar with the programming block, you probably are. Um, Noitamina, which is animation spelled backwards, um... They're like a more adult, experimental, airs later at night programming block of anime that comes up with things like Eden of the East, um, Honey and Clover, um, what's it called? Uh, all, all, all kinds of really well-known anime that you probably have seen and love of psychopaths um, and are really experimental and interesting in terms of animation, story, storytelling, like, point of focus, all that stuff. So they went to that programming block, and they made an exclusive deal for everything on that pro programming block. I don't know how long it's supposed to last, but I know that, it, like, I, I'm not even sure it was timed. I think it's just an exclusive deal. That's why when you want to go watch Psychopath Season 3, you need to do it on Amazon Prime Video. Now, I, if you've been listening a little bit here, I've been talking about really specific streaming services. I've been name-dropping shows left and right. And that's because these shows aren't shows in the licensing sense. They are brands. So if you th think about it in the big Shonen action show way, show Dragon Ball Z isn't just a cartoon. It isn't just a, you know, anime that is famous from the 90s. It is a brand. You That brand can be licensed to anyone in the world. But Dragon Ball Z is a brand. It has a look, color, like, style associated with it. And when you get something to rep that brand, you're saying, I am a fan of Dragon Ball Z. The same way sneakerheads say, I am a fan of Nike or Adidas. The same way when you order a drink, when you order a soda, you go, no, Pepsi is dog shit garbage water. Give me the only soda that matters, Coca-Cola. If we start thinking, if you start thinking about anime as, as brands and not just as artistic things, then you get to a place, and you could get to a place where, oh, these streaming services aren't trading in, aren't trading in just like little piece, little seasons of anime or entertainment. They're trading in name brands that will bring people into their stores because that's what streaming services are. They're stores. They're a different model than a bricks and mortar store or what. Or Amazon as a like web as a um e-commerce setup is, but you are giving someone money for a product. Only instead of like 
selecting your product and going to the counter and paying for like an apple, what you're doing is you're giving somebody twenty two like say twenty two dollars to join a grocery store and you can go in and you can get like nine apples one day, four apples another day, you know, what a loaf of bread another day. And what they're counting on is that you won't do that every day. And they're probably right. So just remember that streaming services are a store but by, by, by default. Except if they don't take your money. And this is why I want to talk about Viewster. Um, Viewster is a British service where you can that you can use for free. Um, um, there's another one, um, like called Midnight Eye or something. But basically, Viewster is another streaming option. It's free. You can go find it. Um, Crackle is another one. And if you're watching these options, you see commercials. And the thing to remember about any streaming service with commercials, including Hulu, even though you pay for Hulu, they're getting you twice there. If if you're not pay, if you're not paying for a service, you are the product in the store. You are the product being sold, because what Viewster is doing is they are looking at all the view counts of all the episodes of anime they host. Let's say you you know you watch um on you you watch the whole season of His and Her Circumstances on Viewster which I think you can for some fucking reason. Um, I don't know why you would, but you can't. Let's say you watch the whole thing on Viewster. You are now a tick on each episode that Viewster can take to an ad advertiser and say, oh, look, we got 20 million, we, we got 20 million views on this episode, on this season of this thing. Sell us ads, please. And so... They are using the raw number to convert that into advertiser money, basically. Um, Hulu does the same thing. If you pay for the lowest tier, well, you don't get ads. They are using their lowest tier subscribers and saying, like, look, all these people pay for this, and we can still serve them commercials. Let's shop these numbers around to commercials. And that's how you get commercials on Hulu. Um, so, first two, like, these two principles are, if you're paying for, if you're paying for a subscription fee, you're basically paying for rights to products in a store. Um, if you are not paying for something or paying less than you should be, realistically, you are the product in the store, basically. But the other thing that I want you to keep in mind, and I want to be really clear, crystal clear here, there is no reason, as a fan of anime, you need to go and pilot pirate anime. Actually, there is a reason, but we'll get to that in a second. In a second. Um, but barring a lot, of very specific provisos, and even then, you really shouldn't do it. There is no reason that you need to go pirate anime at all. If you're listing this and you watch most of your anime pirated illegally, if you read most of your manga pirated illegally, you should not be doing that. The only reason 
that you get to see any of the anime you're watching, any of the manga you're reading, hell, any of the music you listen to, is because they created that as a product to sell out into the world and make money and a living from. Every time you hear about animator, animators being paid dog shit wages, and then you go turn around and you, you know, download something illegally from a torrent site, or watch something on an illegal streaming site, you are taking money out of their wages. It may not be direct, it may not be purposeful, but that's what's happening. You are reducing the profitability of their skills in the world. And I, I can't stress that enough. That said, the thing that people don't... The thing that old otaku out in the world preach all the time, and I probably don't preach enough, is that you don't own anything you're watching. You don't have a right for it to exist forever. If you're watching Little Witch Academia on Netflix... Congratulations, there's a ticking time clock somewhere in the world, and there's a stack of documents somewhere in a desk in Netflix's offices that say, this is how long Netflix has the right to have this show. And the second, the second that that show exists for, on their servers for longer, it could disappear at any moment. That's true of Crunchyroll. That's true of um, that's true of Crunchyroll to the second. That's why I said to the second. Um, I have proof. I've been watching something on Crunchyroll, and it thankfully rewatching, not experiencing for the first time, and it vanished into the ether like it never existed. Like I refreshed the page and gone. <laughs> um, the second that that license agreement is null and void. The original license holder, the creator, um, can just say, you know, if if you show any more of this, we can sue you. Um, and that is off. That rears its head in two ways. First, it can rear its head in a good way, and that is, if you notice, the show Brand New Animal triggered newest, like. Explosion into furrydom. <laughs> uh, if you want go watch the preview for that, you see a Netflix logo at the at the end of it. That means that Netflix will probably get the show. Will probably get like first dib first dibs on the show because they probably put money into it because they put money into Little Witch into the Little Witch Academia series, and they're I are probably doing that so they keep so so they keep a good relationship with a license holder whose programming is on their streaming servers. Um, the other way it can rear its head is those license rights can be purchased by God knows who and weaponized. You see this in the fact that Macross is one of the biggest properties in giant robot anime and you never see a lick of it in America. I, actually, that's not true. I think um, Southern Cross is on Amazon Prime Video. But I think that's it. Um, and that is because of a little company and cue your sky-shaking fists right now. 
called Harmony Gold. Harmony Gold is the sole owner of the Macross Frontier license. At, like, property. And they choose, they basically choose not to license it to anyone outside of Japan. They're just not interested. And when I say just not interested, that's not super true. It's more that they set the price so high that no one can afford to buy the product. If that makes any sense, and that and that was that was what was wrong with um, Evangelion. That's why Evangelion dropped from the earth because the licensing cost was was a million dollars, as we found out when Netflix per- purchased rights to have it on their ser- on their service. Um, but the um, what's it called? The Harmony Gold license has irked. The fandom of anime forever. <laughs> the common expression is just "fuck Harmony Gold." Like people scream that from the rooftops regularly. I'm fairly certain. I'm entirely certain. Actually, it's just like somebody brings up. It's 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 like an outward breath almost in any conversation about Macross. It's like somebody's like, I really like Macross Frontier. And then somebody immediately, at all points, goes, yeah, fuck Harmony Gold. <laughs> and what that, what, but what Harmony Gold brings to light, and what um, Brand New Animal and a lesser extent brings to light, is that these licenses aren't about shows, they're about brands. They're about important cultural brands that aren't on the same level, certainly, as something like Coca-Cola, but they function similarly. So, generally speaking, there are Crunchyroll, Funimation, High Dive, count Netflix, Hulu, um, let's count Midnight Pulse, um, so, crunch one, two, three. There are probably close to ten, maybe close to fifteen streaming platforms you can watch anime on. And that can be your primary use for the platform. I mentioned um, Midnight Pulse because Midnight Pulse is all about um, uh, cult classic anime. Like, you can go watch... Um, Aria the Natural, I think it's called, on there. You can also watch DNA Hunter on there. Um, you can watch Cromorty High on Midnight Pulse. I'm pretty sure that show is amazing. I did a, um episode on Cromorty High a while ago, and that was super fun. Because <laughs> that, that show is so fucking amazing. The Humping episode is one of the best pieces of anime as a joke ever conceived by man. Um, but it, my point is that there's lots of places you can go. And so if for me to do this show, for me to be able to watch anything I want and talk about anything I want, I need to spend, let's see, um, I need to spend easily 
over probably close to $50 a month for all the stuff. Just to be able to say, oh, this is, this is a show I want to talk about. Look it up. Just go watch it. Don't think about it. Just go watch it. And you, in the back of your head, you're saying, you're thinking, hey, why don't you just subscribe to Verve? Well, aside from my Crunchyroll account being hacked and Verve being, like, weirdly inaccessible, um, because of that, and I never bothered to fix it, because honestly, fuck Verve, um, for a bunch of reasons, but the primary reason is that Verve, Verve's model isn't, hey, we are a place we can go watch from all these different services. Verve's model is, and this is why they were valuable, let's go out and contract with Rooster Teeth. Let's go out and contract with, um, you know, Cringe Media or whatever the fuck they call it. Um, let's go out and contract with Funimation. Let's go out and contract with Crunchyroll. And if you guys remember for a while, Crunchyroll and for about like nine months, I think, exactly. Don't quote me on that, though. Crunchyroll and Funimation agreed to partner up when it came to licensing. And what would happen would be Crunchyroll would get the sub rights, um, Funimation would get the dub rights. And what that the way that worked practically was they would go after a show and like Crunchyroll would say, like, we want this show and Funimation would throw on top of the deal and we will and we will simul dub it and release it. So so for a period of nine months to a year, giving myself some wiggle room there, what would happen was if you wanted to watch a show, you had two options on two different services. And that option was, if you like subbed anime, you went to Crunchyroll. If you like dubbed anime, you went to Funimation. And it was a really synergistic thing. And to make sure that people could afford both if they still wanted both, what they did was they actually lowered the price on all tiers of both to say, like, hey, we, we announced this partnership. It's not fair if we have these bizarre prices that act like the other one doesn't exist anymore because the jig's up. And then what happened was Sony acquired Funimation, and on the other side, AT&T, like I said, acquired Crunchyroll. And the partnership was dissolved, and because of big corporate purchasing decisions, the anime market was like ripped asunder again, and now you have stuff that's only subtitled on Funimation and stuff that's only dubbed on Crunchyroll. And that... What Crunchyroll and Funimation were trying to do was they were trying to, A, create a like ecosystem of understanding of this is what this anime brand is, and this is what this anime brand is, and we're friends, and we're all in it together. And that was to certainly to help their bottom line, I'm sure. All that stuff always is. But it was also to create an artificial ceiling on licensing costs. Because, and this is where I get to talk about one of my favorite weird things that I think about all the time, and that's the bubble. And if you're listening to the show, and you're like, what the fuck's the bubble? I've heard people talk about this bubble. It sounds bad, it sounds dangerous, but what the fuck? 
the bubble was, at least in the anime industry, was in America, there was a period of time when everything, and I mean every goddamn fucking insane thing, the, like, most lowly, weeaboo bullshit, no market, markets of three people at a time, anime was being licensed, released, and dubbed. <laughs> and this, this, this happened before the era of... To, in large part, before the era of streaming. Because one of the things that birthed the bubble was streaming. And so what happened at that point is you were getting these licensed packaging deals in which you were going... Let's say you went, you went to a company and said, Okay, I want to license... Um, I don't know. Let's say you said, I want to license... You know, Naruto. And Invis said, okay, sure. But you have to take, um, but you have to, but we're going to give it to you at a price, at whatever price we please, let's say, you know, $2 million, because we know what Naruto's worth. But you also have to license and release in its entirety Hikaru no Go. A show nobody fucking knows. Now, Hikaru no Go isn't that big a deal to sell. It, you know, you sell it to Fujoshi and they dress up like the characters and write bad BL and it, 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 it deals with itself. It's fine. But what that means is that the whole industry was held captive by all the licensors packing in their less desirable series so that they could get extra cash revenue off of them with their most desirable series. So there's a world in which, I shit you not, in which whoever paid whoever paid for um, Evangelion didn't just get Evangelion, they also got his and her circumstances. Two shows that are, have vastly different, you know, Everything. They're like they're very far from each other. <laughs> they're, but they're produced by the same studio and held by the same licensor, I'm sure. So that licensor is like, we don't know what to do with how how to sell his and her circumstances. So why don't we bundle it in? And if anybody comes to us and says, We want Evangelion, they have to take his and her circumstances, even if they don't want it, because it's a part of the deal. So that is like, to give you an idea, that's um, like someone saying, I want to sell Coca-Cola. They're like, okay, but you also have to sell Cherry Sprite, which no one wants. It's a nightmare. But they still say, you have to sell Cherry Sprite. Or, like when I was a kid working at a snack stand, when... In a, in a like a members-only pool club, we were working behind the stand one day, and our manager brings in this barrel of Coke Zero, and says, "We have to sell this," and all of us as humans with taste buds say, "No, nobody wants that weird shit. They want normal Coke." He's like, "I don't care. Gets the bottom of the barrel." We basically threw them at people. Um, but it's it's similar to that before you know 
everybody lied to themselves and said, Coke Zero tastes great. Which I can guarantee you it does not. Um, but, so, that was how the bubble started, and the way the bubble burst was, the bottom fell out of the market model for anime, and that DVDs stopped selling because you could get stuff illegally online at places like Crunchyroll at the time, and the value of DVDs disappeared. But, and this is important, a um, bunch of years ago, after the after the bubble happened, Universal started producing anime. They um produced that etchy wrestling show, I think, and a bu- and they still do. They still produce shows. And the reason they do that is because anime is the only growth market in DVD sales. And the reason that is is because, as an anime fan, we are predisposed to be collectors. I I'm moving. I'm staring at. Um, an empty wall where all my figures used to be because I packed all my my hundreds of dollars of figures very carefully into plastic sealed cushioned bins to go over to the new place. But we, like I said, we are preconditioned to be collectors of things, and part of that is because you know anime companies want to sell us stuff. But also the other part of that is because as the streaming landscape gets longer and longer in the tooth, so to speak, we are all realizing, like I said earlier, that we don't own what we're watching. You know, if I really like Miss Hokusai and I saw it on Netflix for the first time, and all of a sudden one day Netflix doesn't have it, and that, but that day comes after the DVDs out of print. I don't have any other. I don't have a re- recourse to go buy that DVD anymore to, bu- to watch that without stealing it. And that's the honest truth of the only time it's kind of not so much allowed, but acceptable to go pirate something to go you know, get something from a torrent site or a download site or what have you. And that is if the licensor basically doesn't want your money. The licensor basically doesn't want... The the market of anime gives you no way to watch the show. And even then, it's it's not okay. Like, don't, don't lie to yourself and say what you're doing is okay. Just say what you're doing is the only way you can watch the show. And, you know, th- this is this is the real, not conundrum, but issue that people, that people who want to say pirating anime is bad run into. And that is that there are legal ways, lots of legal free ways to watch things like Gundam on the internet, but they are region locked. So, whereas I can go on to YouTube and go on to Gundam.info, a uh, YouTube channel, bought, which is by Bandai Sunrise, and I can watch all different series of Gundam, some of them even subbed in, subbed in English, 
if not dubbed in English, in their entirety for free with, I believe, no commercials, actually. As, a, as just a free service that Bandai offers, somebody in, say, Florida, which is a different programming region, has it restricted, and they, and they can only see about, I want to say, 25% of the videos, um, which is a way smaller, smaller thing. That, you know, Bandai, Bandai made that stuff available for free. Um, for, I want to say, a couple months. It might actually still be up. Um, Sony made Millennium Actress available for free with no commercial on YouTube. You could just go, you might still be able to just go watch it. Um, but when they, if they see enough numbers on those things, they could just take it down and, you know, replace it with a commercial for the DVD, or make it a rent, or make it a thing you need to rent through YouTube, since you can do that. And like I said, it, it, it the the art world, the art world we're all watching is not just a painter in their basement, and it is not anything that we have an, a an alienable right to see. You don't have, because you pay for Crunchyroll, does not mean you have earned the right to watch anything on Crunchyroll. It means you have earned the right to watch stuff on Crunchyroll for as long as Crunchyroll is legally allowed to show it to you. And that, that's important to remember, because right now, the way the anime industry functions, largely, is on continuously borrowed time. And what I mean by that is we as anime fans in the U.S. largely consume anime through streaming, through streaming services. Many of us are not, you know, collecting DVDs and Blu-rays anymore regularly. Much of what we're watching is on the internet, either ad-supported or subscriber-supported. And if, you know, a company decides one day, like, we can make more money off of this selling this. We, as a consumer of that product, lose lose access to it. Now, there's tons of reasons why they don't and why they wouldn't, but there's also tons of reasons why they could or should. And it, it's important to remember as a fan that what you're watching, that when you go watch, like, when you go watch JoJo's, this is... There's nothing that says that, jo that Crunchyroll needs to keep the license to JoJo's or David Productions need to sell it to Crunchyroll. There's nothing that says that. It's all a gentleman's business agreement about fighting deeply homoerotic indie rock. <laughs> um, or prog rock, rather. So... I'm not saying that, that that this stuff needs to change. I'm not saying that it's necessarily bad or good. My suspicion is that it's a lot of both, leaning, but hilariously enough, for once, leaning to the bad. But I am saying that, you know, as consumers of anime, if you like something and you really love it, and it's in print, 
and you want to be able to watch it at all time, the only way that you can guarantee that you will be able to watch your favorite show forever is by going on to, you know, Amazon or Write Stuff, probably better you go to Write Stuff, and purchasing the DVD and purchasing the Blu-ray set and paying that money forward to whoever you prefer and the studio that makes it, that, that, ma that actually made that show, so you can have that Blu-ray forever. Because the thing... And this is the thing that it's a big lie of media right now. And that is that because you stream it, that you have a right to it. Um, this came up with iTunes and DRM. This comes up with Steam and, D and digital rights management stuff, which is what DRM stands for. You don't have a right to fought to data unless you produce that data or unless you own a raw file with no DRM protection on a hard drive that you can unplug from your computer where no one can get to it. That sounds crazy and paranoid, but it's true. What, what you do have a right to is you have a right to a printed disc that you paid good, hard-earned, or given, or whatever money to somebody for. You know, um... Let's say po Pokemon, for example. Let's say Pokemon just wanted to stop existing as a media property and just wanted to only sell the games. Fine. But then nobody has a way to watch Pokemon ever again if they take it off if they take it off entirely off air. Unless you go out and you buy the Pokemon like all the Pokemon franchise, all the Pokemon series that you want to watch over and over again on disc and you put them in your bookshelf right next to all the other anime stuff. That's the only way to make sure that you, to, that's the only way to give yourself, to buy yourself the right to watch something whenever you want is to own the DVD. That's why even I have a, even I somebody who is largely digital, I have my own selection of files of series, I have my own little trove of DVDs and Blu-rays. I, I, and if I see something, I'm like, I love that, especially if it's a movie. I don't go out, I don't wait for it necessarily to be streaming. I strongly consider, if not do, buy the DVD and buy the Blu-ray. Because, like I said, that is the way that you will always be able to watch the stuff that you love. And I, I, so the reason, and this is kind of going to be my closing thoughts on this, the reason why watching Isaacan and Smiled on the Runway made me think about this stuff is because those are two shows that have a look at the profit, as, as a profit model of the creative world, and something that lots of people who have never worked creatively don't quite understand is that you are not you are not selling yourself necessarily a creative entity. Uh, at the highest level, lots of times that's what people are buying and want to hear about. But what you're really doing is you're selling a skill set, and you're selling 
you're selling your creativity as a skill. And I know that because I used to, as I'm sure I mentioned on this podcast before, I used to work as a, I don't anymore, I don't anymore often, I do occasionally, I used to work as a high-end art director, creative director, production designer, designer in in and around New York City. Um, for companies like Macy's, for companies like Foot Locker, for companies like Century 21. I did a lot of fashion. I also did um, some stuff for some drug companies like AstraZeneca. Um, but, um, and advertising firms and car companies. But, so I, I know what it's like to be a creative who has to make money off of your creativity. And the way that, but the other thing about someone who needs to make money to, like, eat, sleep, and live is that as soon as there's somebody who has a marketable skill like that, that people want, there will be an apparatus set up to take advantage of that and maximize the amount of money that can be made from that. That's um, who Sayak, that's who Sayak, what Sayak is a stand-in for in Isaacan. That is the point of the speech about we just gotta be naked under the dress, yo, in um, what's it called? In Smile Down the Runway. Because the deal isn't that these people are creative, it's that they are creative in a way that lets them live off it. In a way that it's other people, in a way that not just they value, but other people value. In the same way, quite frankly, that, you know, you listen to an advertisement for this podcast. I, I don't I'm not going to lie. I don't make much money from the podcast. I make enough money to notice it when the thing ticks up constantly. But I, my, my yammering is something you want and that you get for free. But that, adver- but that advertisers express interest in you know, paying me to have access to your ears so you can hear about their offers for, like, podcasts or podcast recording stuff or whatever. And that that is a industry figuring out a way to use my creative output to produce money for me and themselves. That makes any sense. And that, 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 that is what is necessary to produce anime. Because anime, if you've ever seen Shirobako, you know, is insanely expensive to produce. Animation is difficult. I animated Blinking Eyes the other night. It took me, I want to say, an hour to get it where I wanted it to be. And I am an experienced animator and creative. But, um, who is admittedly out of practice. But, so, I just wanted to, like, vent some thoughts about, like, the streaming landscape for anime and the, like, um, repercussions of the way we consume anime and the way that we expect to keep consuming, to keep having access to that anime at all times. Um, I hope you, I hope you at least found this ranting nightmare interesting, 
Um, if you did, feel free to go subscribe to your podcast app of choice and give me a five-star review it, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm not picky. I just like I, I like the love. Um, but until next time, I've been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio, and I'll talk to you later.